I am now, I believe, fixed at this seat with an agreeable consort for life and hope to find more happiness in retirement than I ever experienced amidst a wide and bustling world. The words of Colonel George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we look at the challenges facing the Republic this week. We'll look at coronavirus, how it's affecting our nation and the world, and we'll cover the presidential primary and other news in our hot take segment and wrap with our Guardian of the Week and final thought of optimism about our current situation. Please make sure to subscribe and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. So Patrick, let's just talk about it. We've been talking about this for months now. How is the Republic being challenged this week? Right. So we've been talking about the challenges all along. Uh, So the past few weeks, obviously, the big challenge is the response to COVID-19. And what do you think? Uh, How how are different levels of government doing? Well, it depends on the, the level of the government. I think that overall, the executive branch has been challenged. Uh, with President Trump for a long time, seemingly in January, February, and the early parts of March, looking out for himself and his poll numbers and his stock market uh, ahead of what would happen. It's that sort of he's been described as a day trader, as a day trader politician, Mm -hmm. somebody who just sort of wants to take care of that day. In fact, I read something this week that was particularly fascinating, where he had said to his staff early on, think of each day of this administration as an episode of a reality television show. And let's just make a good day. You just figure out that day and put out put up a good show. Problem with that is what happened in January was it would have been a bad show if we were dealing with the coronavirus. February as well, beginning of March. But the issue is we didn't get any lead time on this in the way that other nations around the world who took it seemingly more seriously took it. I think the governors are handling it rather well, considering. I think that they're getting to stand up and sort of say, hey, this is who I am. Um, mayors as well, though the the Bill de Blasio-Andrew Cuomo relationship is fascinating uh, to, to watch here in New York. Yes. How about you? Uh, the same. Uh, I think that uh, the, the jury will continue to be out on... Uh, President Trump until we get to the other end of this uh, crisis. But the judgment that seems to be is that he is able to make each day its own day in his world. And so they come out with an announcement. We don't. We have no idea whether these announcements about what's going to be provided or not provided are actually going to come true, but it sounds good when, when you say it. And, uh, you know, he's been able to turn on a dime uh, in terms of starting basically saying it's a democratic hoax to you know where we are today because he has to uh the governors are an interesting situation because i think we're going to see that many governors coming out of this looking very strong very strong very strong but some others but remember there's 50 governors so it's going to it's going <laughs> to vary and and we're already right. hearing some stories about it varying about how some are not are underprepared and i think what's going to be interesting the one thing that I keep hearing from healthcare providers—I mean, we—and I don't mean me personally—we just keep hearing it in, on in the news, online, everywhere, on social media. They're because they're out there. They're pleading. We don't have personal protection devices uh, that you know, masks and and gloves and yeah. all those things that they need. They're running out of them. They're reusing them in hospitals. 
That's a major problem yeah, is these healthcare like, workers. Right. And, you know, we can ramp up. The military has this stuff. The You can ramp up production of this stuff. You know, China built hospitals in two weeks. Eight days. Eight right. days. Eight and, days. Right. Amazing. So, uh, and we did, we did this stuff in World War II. We were able to ramp up this. And uh, we have the technology and, and companies that can be retooled, factories that can be retooled to do this very quickly. And we have stockpiles of some of this stuff in the military and in other places, and they're not being released. Now, the question is, it, when they do get released, where are they going to get released to? I, I have my doubts about how this is going to be handled, but right now, nobody's getting any of this stuff. So the, the governors who are taking firm control of this, uh, and they tend to be governors in blue states, uh, that, uh, that they will probably come out looking strong if they can push, you know, what they need to push to get uh, the supplies that they need. But some of it's going to re- re- rely on the federal government. So it'll be, uh, that'll be a good question. Um, now, how about <laughs> on the issue of de Blasio? Now, th- you know, for folks who are following <laughs> what's going on in New York, hey, when, when he went out to his gym on Friday morning? No, first, it was Monday. Monday morning. Monday morning. He did. Monday morning. He, Monday morning, he oh, went Bill. to his gym in Brooklyn. He said, and, and when he was questioned about it, you know, when, when, when politicians are questioned, I think that there's wisdom in finding a way to, to sort of say you're wrong about something. You maybe shouldn't have done that. But he said, no, I need to work out. I need to exercise to make the smart decisions. He just comes off looking like a jerk, um, which is unfortunate. And a, a jerk who doesn't have that much power. I don't want to. This should not turn into a Bill de Blasio uh, beatdown. I think he's in a really tough situation. He's out here ringing the bell saying everyone should, should be staying at home and it should be like a citywide, like you must stay at home. Um, but Cuomo's not going for that yet. Uh it's 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 a it's a a dangerous situation in every way. Again, though, I want to talk about President Trump and his choice not to ramp these things up in January. I had a moment where I thought, you know, is this partially because of impeachment? <laughs> because because of the impeachment process, he was just like, I can't take any more hits, so we're just going to keep things quiet here. Um, and but it set us up terribly, and it did not set us up at all. And it, it made us, uh, you know, it, there's the talk that President Trump likes to sit and watch television and not work, not do the hard stuff. Well, the hard stuff is what was necessary in January and February. And other nations were doing that. Again, we're going to get into China in a minute. But you, you have something here about Senator Ron Johnson. Uh, what did he say that you found fascinating? What Ron Johnson said from Wisconsin, Senator from Wisconsin, getting coronavirus is not a death sentence, except for maybe no more than 3.4% of our population, probably less. And then he says, we don't shut down our economy because tens of thousands of people die on the highways. Tens of thousands of people is not 3.4%, it's significantly lower. If, if millions of people, 3.4% of motorists on the highway started dying every year, yes, we would shut down the highways, you idiot. Wow, see, you don't do this very often. Where you, on Twitter, on Twitter, you actually said that to him. You, you, you said, are you nuts? Yeah, this I said, I said this, is a, this is a moronic statement. It was absolutely pure. That's, this is how stupid these people are. Because, you know why? Okay. It's not because of their stupidity. It was because it's, it's party first. And yeah, it's circle the wagons true. around President Trump. That's where this is coming from. Okay, so I'm going to say the eight, the eight senators. You take a few breaths, get yourself grounded. All right, so this, is the, this is the vote on relief, on, the, on yes. the first relief package for coronavirus. Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. Senator Jim Inhofe. 
uh, Senator James Lankford, Senator Mike Lee, Senator Ron Johnson, Senator Tim Scott, Senator Rand Paul, and you cannot believe this, Senator Ben Sass. Your buddy, Ben Sass, voted against relief. Yeah. Remember last week, that whole thing about... <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Ben Sass. And why? They don't have... I mean, look, I get that in a normal situation that you know you want to look and make sure your, your books are balanced, that the aid is going to where it is. We are clearly not in a normal situation. The $1.5 trillion tax cut that was given to the top 1%, that Donald Trump went to Mar-a-Lago and told all his friends, you all just got a whole lot richer today, that would pay for everything that we're dealing with now. Yep. It would. But like the uh, companies, the airlines who did buybacks of their stock and now need to, didn't, didn't hold out some for a crazy, crazy, who could have imagined something like this, the airlines and everyone else is going to need to get bailed out because of that. And Mark Cuban said a fabulous thing. He said, if you get federal money, you should never be allowed to buy back your stock ever again. Yeah. Ever. Not in a year, not in 10 years, not in 20 years, ever. Ever. And that makes a whole lot of sense because they had a lot of money and they used yeah. it to buy back their stock. Right. Yeah, there's all these airlines that need to be bailed out. Just amazing. It's It's... It's so many challenges this week. There are a lot of challenges and not just to like how the country is running, but to all of our lives. And I think that I'm going to get into this later in the final thought about how there, there may be an upside to all of this at the end. I really do believe that. But you know what's not an upside? The president um, calling it the Chinese flu, mm -hmm. the Chinese virus. One of uh, the executive branch's workers going over to um, an Asian American reporter and calling it the Kung flu to her face. Yeah, Michelle Cinder saying to the president, are you okay with that? And him saying, well, what's it called again? And she said, the Kung flu. And he said, say it again. And she said, the Kung flu. And he goes, well, they, they gave it to us. Here is a perfect example of him, of the president gaslighting. We talked about yep. what gaslighting means on the show, I think two months ago. He is changing the story from his incompetence outright incompetence into a story of turning this against Asian Americans and China. And he, you know he's, he's going that way when he gets China. Yeah. He even said it like that. Yeah. You did, uh, there was another press conference where before this, before this Kung flu reference popped out, uh, that he didn't, he didn't call it Chinese flu in that press conference, but he had said something to, well, no one's to blame for this. Well, except if you go to the source. And it's clear that he was looking for some group to blame, that right. it's easy to scapegoat, that his supporters, because of their proclivity to look at things through a prism of, of, of prejudice. Ooh, well, on. I mean, look, I mean, the prism the, of the, prejudice, that's right. You know, that, that's why it, you build the wall, um, you know, kick them out. It's all based on prejudice. And so his appeal there, whether it's overt or covert, is we found out who to blame for this, and it's an it's it's one it's of not the me. other. It's right. the it's a the other group. So it's not you. It's the other group. And his his constant cruelty. Uh, just this is what he constantly falls back on. 
Yeah, because he's cruel. Yeah. I mean, that that I think I can say without being too political. He's just a cruel human. He's cruel. He's cruel constantly. Um, and he takes the opportunity to slap people any chance that he gets, including people who work for him. You can see it in the way that they're, they're in constant fear of him. Uh, it's It's... Striking. So Julia Davis from the Daily Beast uh, tweeted this out and it caught my eye. Experts say there are broad implications for the United States. The nation is not assuming the role as a global leader at a time of need. It is scrambling to address the severe shortage of test kits and other equipment despite the virus being on its radar for months. China is now already distributing needed foreign aid and medical equipment to other nations that are suffering. China is doing what the United States used to do and now isn't even able to do for itself. This won't be forgotten on the international stage. That, that's what's happening with the president. And that's, that's kind of what he wanted the, the country to be, right? He didn't want us to be, you know, make America great again, but without realizing that America's great when it's great on the international stage and not when it's insulated. Yeah, but it's not great because we we don't have we don't have enough masks. We don't have enough. Right. Well, that's the point. We are not prepared. Right. Because when we're prepared to help the world, we're prepared to help ourselves. Yeah. Make America decent again. I mean, that's what we should be hoping for, because this isn't this is not great. When And by the way, I mean, this thing with the test kits. So the lack of test kits and the test. Come on, dude. But the point the point of the test kits as at this point, they don't have a real treatment for it. But the point of the test kits is that, that you can quickly, one, figure out where it's blossoming and 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 do mitigation in that yes. area to do, do that. Also, there are people sitting in hospitals waiting for the test to come back because of how long these initial tests take to get the results, taking up a hospital bed when it turns out that they're negative in the end and would be better off going home. But also getting those tests can help find the vaccine. And to say on March 6th, anyone who wants a test can get a test is a lie. Right. It wasn't true then. It's not true today on March 19th. Right. Thursday, March 19th at 12 noon. And, this one, point, and this 1.8 million or 1.9 million tests, whatever he said uh, a few days ago, were coming. Nobody sees them coming. This must have been like, listen, I, I never had a boyfriend. But like you know that boy, the, you know in movies you see the boyfriend who always tells it's like tells lies to the to the girlfriend or to the wife and sort of like oh yeah honey it's all gonna work out and he's got another wife on the side, you know and that's what it feels like here it just feels like he's just he just says whatever he needs to say to get out of the room that day, he'll deal with it later, it's awful it's a shame it's it's a uh, and we as Americans unfortunately voted this in voted this situation in. And we will have a chance soon to uh, make that similar choice and whether we want to continue on that path, which we're going to get to in a moment. But Patrick, let's let's move on, if we can, to your polling of the week, because it, it sort of relates to exactly where we are and how we've gotten here. So what did you, what do you, what do you got to say on polling this week? I, yeah. I, I, actually, one of the, the probably the best poll in this kind of uh, pollster on these types of issues came out with a poll this week, and that's the Pew Research Center. Uh, last week I talked about the fact that we didn't have a lot of coronavirus polling yet. Uh, so this week we're starting to get it. And I'll have my own poll next week. But the Pew Center came out with a very good one that really covered a lot of ground. Uh, but the thing that I want to focus on is the level of concern that people feel about it. And this is a target that's, that's moving every day. Every day that number is going to be shifting. So you can't say what the poll said last week is what people feel today. But 
There were some interesting numbers in there. Roughly three quarters of Republicans, 76 percent, say the news media has exaggerated the risks of the coronavirus. That's 76 Republicans. Now, some Democrats do it as well. It's 49 percent of Democrats. But that is a huge difference. There's a 27 point difference between Republicans and Democrats who say that the news media has exaggerated this. And we also were seeing in those polls from last week a different level of concern about themselves and what you need to do about coronavirus, Republicans being less concerned than Democrats. And I think that that was really telling because, you know, why would this be? And I think we were talking about the change in uh, the president's uh, tone and the words that he used to describe this, going from calling it a democratic hoax to acknowledging that it is a global crisis. But his, uh, his shills on, media, on the media were doing the same thing. So I, I came across this from the Washington Post, uh, the, the Fix, which is one of the features in Washington Post, put together some clips of Fox News hosts and what they said a week or two ago and what they said this week. Uh, so I've recut that just to get Janine Pirro, Sean Hannity, and Laura Ingrams. And I want to play that for you. So the first thing, I'm going to play one clip from each of the three of them from a week or so ago. All the talk about coronavirus being so much more deadly doesn't reflect reality. Without a vaccine, the flu would be far more deadly. We're going to call out anyone and everyone who's using this virus as a political weapon against the president. The standard flu every single year kills tens of thousands of Americans. It is absolutely disgusting that Democrats are seeking to use this complex virus to score cheap political points. That was last week. Now, these same three people this week. We are facing an incredibly contagious and dangerous virus that is moving across the world from one hotspot to another. We are now entering what will be the crucial defining 15-day period as it it relates to this virus, where we must slow the spread of coronavirus. This dangerous health crisis could dovetail quickly into a political crisis, already feeling economic ramifications of it all. Remember what I said earlier about uh, politicians not taking responsibility for themselves? Bill de Blasio. Mm-hmm. I, I'm speechless a little bit. Yeah. That because even though, even though they've changed their tone, they didn't acknowledge that they no. were wrong in what they no. did before. No. And what they did, and here's what's, here's what's really important about this. What they said initially is what really sunk in. Yeah. And I have some anecdotal evidence for this because... My in-laws watch Fox News, and a week ago, they thought this was a big joke. Now, this week, they think it's less of a joke, but still don't feel that they need to do the kinds of things that the rest of us are doing to keep our community safe, because the initial message was what sunk in first. The president even said this week, he said that I always knew that this was a global pandemic before it was being called a global pandemic, and we have absolute evidence that that's not the case. It's absolute evidence that that's not the case. And then it becomes a question of what Americans will be willing to stomach. Now, one shift that we've had, and one thing we haven't talked about in the challenges of the Republic is the market has di- has dived, dove, divin, I don't know, but it's down. It's down. It's back now to where it was when Obama left office. Um, 
around that area, I believe. I, I believe it's around that area where it was uh, the big thing that we've been talking about on the show is, you know, are you, with in regards to Bernie Sanders, are you willing to take a risk that your 401k is going to crash by leaving, by getting President Trump out of office, who has been the steward of the ship that has led the market to these heights? Well, he's the steward of the ship now. Um, and if that's your one big thing that you're like, yeah, I don't want to, you know, I don't want the markets to crash. They did. Um, they did under his watch. And oddly, um, he, uh, every time he speaks, it, it goes down. He doesn't, he doesn't settle anything. Yeah. He, so, he um, does not, he does not exude confidence. And when I, when I called you, when I texted you that it was March 1st, I went back and looked on March 1st and I said, I think this coronavirus is going to help Biden. And um, when, when I said that, it was before every, anything had happened. The market hadn't gone anywhere. Nothing had shifted. But what the thought process was is if the world goes into disarray to give, um, uh, what's his name? Richard uh, from the Council on Foreign Relations. Oh, I can't think of his name right now. He's got the book, A World in Disarray. If the world is going to go into disarray, then what we need is someone like Joe Biden. Hopefully he can perform to the level of being that. And what we found, and we're about to go into the hot take segment talking about Joe Biden, is that he's actually quite excellent at this, finding that quiet and stability. We mm -hmm. watched, uh, Nicole and I watched uh, Joe Biden's um, acceptance on Tuesday night after the votes where he was in a sort of weird place and it was strange with a black background on the two flags. But Nicole looked at me and said, you know, it's like dad, like we need dad now, not granddad. He was like dad up there. Like he's the dad that we all need right now to say, hey, everything's going to be okay. We all have to come together and we have to work together. That's going to be very, a very, very stark difference. Do you have anything else you want to say on polling before we move on? No, I think, hot takes? Uh, yeah, I think let's, let's move on to our hot take segment. Uh, this is where we take 90 seconds to discuss some of the other topics in the news. And when you hear this sound, it's time to move on to the next topic. Uh, so our first topic is, let's, uh, it seems like it was eons ago, but. Yes, but it wasn't, but it was four nights ago. Right, but uh, before uh, before Tuesday's primary, we had the the debate between uh, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. What did you think about okay, that? So I was so, I was so jazzed by that whole debate that I wanted to, I called you. I was like, Hey, can we do an, a little quick one just about the debate? People were saying that Joe Biden made a mistake that night. I don't agree. I think it, it was a very combative debate and Biden took the first swipe at Bernie. And I was like, Whoa, you just took a shot at him. Why did you do that? But here's what I thought on a, in a one-on-one -on -one debate, Biden was incredibly strong and what he was showing was, no, I'm not. I'm not gonna put my arm around this guy yet. I'm gonna fight him because we got another. We've got another election tomorrow, which I still think was a foolish mistake on those states. They shouldn't have gone forward with it. But I thought that what Biden did that night was was immensely important. He was just putting the final, you know, exclamation mark at the end of his campaign. And I think he did it. And I think there's plenty of time for him to put his arm around Bernie Sanders and thank him. I don't think that that's what he should have done on Sunday night. I disagree with many people who thought differently. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I thought he should have t turned his attention outward, though, more towards Donald Trump than trying to take on Bernie Sanders each time that Bernie Sanders came after him. Because they were, they were litigating old... Yeah, old you know, votes a lot from of the 90s. old stuff. And in fact, a, a friend of mine who's a reporter, I think he put this out on Twitter, said something to the effect of, this is like two old friends who have been friends forever and are arguing <laughs> over the same thing that they've been arguing over for 40 years, because that's just what they do. And that's, that's what it seemed like. Like, who cares what your social security vote was 30 years ago? It's a different I time. I agree. 
I agree, but we're moving on, and I've got something more to say. All right, so let's go go on to Joe Biden specifically. I think you wanted to talk about his performance. Well, what he did, we there were many times over the course of the many debates that we've talked about where one or the other of the candidates came out and showed that they were a fighter, right? Biden never showed that in any of the wider debates. If there were 10 people on the stage, he always looked a little like, I don't know where to look. Now it was one-on-one, and he turned his body right towards Sanders, smiled not too disrespectfully as far as I'm concerned, and said, I'll take you on one-on-one, pal. And I'm willing to take off the gloves and throw and throw knuckles. Yeah. Listen, man, as far as I'm concerned, that's what Joe Biden needed to prove to me because I thought he was going to get his butt kicked on Sunday night. I was scared about that debate, but it was two men. I thought it was a split decision with Biden winning on, on points using a boxing analogy. Yeah. But I think that's exactly what he needed to do because that'll be his last debate until he takes on the president in some virtual debate in, in September and October of this coming year. Yeah, I agree with you. I think... Um, Good. Yeah, I do. I, I agree with you. I think uh, that Bernie scored some points on policy issues where yes, Biden did. did not really give a, a great answer. But yes, I was taken by that side shot of the camera with Biden standing there, yeah. turned to the side with his hand in his pocket, saying, okay, I'm listening to you and I'm ready to come back and, and, and spar with you. And I think, yes, you're right. That's what won him because that's the reassurance you want. You want to say, yeah. here's a guy who, who can go the distance. That's what yes, we're looking for. And then Tuesday night, like I said, when he won, he came out and he said, let's bring this country together. He did throw the love to Bernie. He's going to throw love to Bernie. We probably should talk about the uh, at some point. But OK, now I'm going to go on to Bernie Sanders and and where he's at and his choice. What did you think of Bernie that night? Yeah, I, w- I was surprised because I thought Bernie had signaled that he was going to try to push Biden on current policy. And he kept bringing up all this old stuff, all the old votes, rather than where do you stand now? It's, well, you said this about Social Security then. <laughs> yeah, so like, like that he was still fighting to win this nomination, which he, he cannot win. Uh, and so I thought that that was odd, because here was your opportunity to, to continue to push Biden on current issues. And you kept going back to the past. That, well, Bernie, and the Sanders and his choice, like to me, I was curious to see what would happen Tuesday night, Wednesday. And it from from reports, it's saying that there are two different sides in his campaign right now. One is saying, keep fighting. You never know what's going to happen, which I think is foolish and dangerous. And the other side is get out now so you can actually help you know, push your policies more. If you become just a thorn in Joe Biden's side, it will not serve you or your issues. And Sanders likes Joe Biden. There's a huge difference between the moment where he turns to Hillary Clinton and says, I endorse her, or he turns to, I, I endorse her, I endorse her, fine, I endorse her, or Joe Biden, where he says, he even had that moment in the debate where he says, look, if Joe Biden is the nominee, it's, he's the existential danger in the modern American presidency. Why, again, I ask, why does he say in the modern day presidency? Who is he thinking about? Andrew Jackson, maybe? Who else is he thinking about? Bernie, who are you talking about? All right. What does the voting in those three states mean to you, Patrick? Is it in it with Ohio, with Ohio taking a pass, Illinois, um, Florida, and Arizona all going wildly for Biden? What does it mean? I think Biden could have won by an even larger margin if more people had uh, shown up to vote. There was uh, the turnout was not particularly Low. high, Low. particularly in Arizona, which was the the closest. No, it was high in Arizona. It was no, higher no, in no. Arizona. Illinois, it was low. No, no. Am I wrong? It, yeah, it was. It was low on terms of the people who showed up to vote on election day in Arizona. Most of Arizona's voting takes place early. Okay. 
But there were some people who intended to vote on election day and did not do it. So almost yeah, all of that vote is all early vote. People just didn't show up at the polls in Arizona. And so I think he would have won by more than the 12 or 13 points that he's ahead in, in the count right now if more people had actually shown up. Uh, so we're talking about three big wins. Ohio would have been another big win. Whatever is coming up ne- down the pike is going to be a big win for... Is it over? It's over. It is over. Now, mathematically, yeah, there is a path. If if Bernie Sanders can suddenly like win every single state because something happens with Joe Biden, uh, he can he can come back. But at this point, as you said, it's time for him to get out because this, there's a clear indication that the voters, the Democratic voters, want the person that they think can beat Donald Trump. The ideological debate is over. It's about yeah. beating Donald Trump right now, particularly in this what's going on with the coronavirus crisis. Yes. Now, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, just before we sat down to do this, drops out and endorses Joe Biden. I said, my first thought was, I went, yeah, I don't care. But you have made a really good point because I hadn't watched the video yet. I have since. What do you think, Patrick? Yes. So uh, for those of you who haven't seen this, go and and just search on her Twitter feed and get her four minute video about her decision. And uh, she says, we're in a time of crisis. And time of crisis, we have to come together. And she remarks about how she went into the military after 9-11. And this is what she's all about. And that she endorsed Joe Biden because Democratic voters have said, this is who we want to take on Donald Trump. And we need to get behind them. Then she also had some very nice words about Bernie Sanders as well, the person that she actually endorsed back in 2016. Uh, and I and I think she gave a roadmap for Bernie Sanders to say, you know, mm. take a look at this. This is how you need to do this in this in, in this day and age. You will be able to fight another day. Well, if, I don't know that Bernie will be able to fight another day, but his issues will. Right. Well, that's what I mean. Isn't for Bernie, it's all about the issues. Yeah, but for the problem, Bernie, it's but, a little but, bit about Bernie. Well, I mean, if I hey, if, that's different than what you've said in the past, by the way, well, my friends. Well, no, but I'll tell you this: if I've spent eight years trying to become the president, like he had a moment with Manu of CNN where he where he kind of snapped at him and said, "I'm handling a major crisis. Leave me alone, right?" Yeah. And I thought about it. I was like, "Look, if I was trying to get a job to get this big acting job for eight years, and I've come so close twice." And then to sort of spit out and say, I'm done. I think it's just really, really, I think it's hard for him. I, I, I understand where he's coming from. I have I have admiration for Bernie Sanders, uh, but I, I do okay. I do feel bad for him. I added one thing here. What do you think? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think Let's we should it. talk about it because one thing that Joe Biden did break news in, in that debate was that he, and we all knew this was going to be, but that his vice presidential choice is going to be a woman. Yeah. And uh, we had, and that he was going to put an African American woman on the Supreme Court, which right. seemed seems interesting. Because is he then setting himself up not to pick an African American running mate by saying that? You know, yeah, I think he op- opened the opened the speculation so that he could do that and entertain an Amy Klobuchar, for example, or even Elizabeth Warren if he wanted to, or a whole host of other things. A Gretchen Whitmer from the governor of Michigan is another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, she's snapping. She's snapping with President Trump these days. I, I, I there's a, a friend of mine, a writer on Turn, the TV show that I did. She's very, uh, she's a very smart uh, woman, African American woman, and she's just basically said, if Amy Klobuchar is the nominee, I don't do that, Joe. She's, uh, you know, she's pretty liberal, um, but she's really saying it better be Kamala or better be Stacey Abrams. And it does concern me a little bit if he goes Klobuchar route. I do like Klobuchar very much. Um, I think she'd be a very capable 
president if put into that situation. Yeah. But I, I think he really, I think Joe Biden really needs to be mindful. Of yeah, the, I don't think he needs left Klo- of the party. I don't, I don't think he, I don't needs, think he needs Klobuchar either. Klobuchar to to win those midwestern states. Uh, he needs he needs the support of enthusiasm of the yeah, base. Now right. the question is, is it, is it the African-American base or is he going to try the Latino base? I think Latino he has base? the African-American base, doesn't he? I mean, he, he, he yeah, certainly can, has the Can you get them enthusiastic? Vote? Remember, Hillary Clinton had the African-American vote in the 2016 yeah, primaries but, too, but, but didn't, remember, get, didn't get them out to vote in November. I'm going over because it's important. Hillary Clinton did not play second fiddle to the president, African-American man who was the president of the United States for eight years going, yes, sir, for eight years. That gets a lot of love from the African-American community, not to be forgotten. Okay, let's ask this now. This is an important question that we're going to go back and forth on, I'm afraid. What's going to happen to the election in 2020, in November? Is there going to be an election? What happens if people can't leave their homes during that time? If there's a new wave or if the wave hasn't even stopped yet? Patrick, what's what would you what do you foresee? The constitutional constitution is very clear about holding an election on the second Tuesday after the or the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November is is the actual term. The the thing is though the presidential election is not necessarily tied to that election. That's just a national election for Congress. Remember, the presidential election occurs in December when the electoral members of the Electoral College get together. Now, we have this process by which the states have decided that they use the November election to determine who their electors are. But that part is not in the Constitution. Only the... Uh, the Electoral the College. So so yeah. what happens? I mean, can President Trump say, you know what? I'm a wartime president. We're not going to hold an election in November. I'm just going to stay on. Can't do it. Can't do it without the courts saying that it's constitutional to do that for whatever reason. That's that's above and beyond what a normal war power suspension of law would allow you to do. Now, having said that, a lot of states have shown, like Arizona, for example, as I said, people didn't go out to vote, but Arizona is already set up to switch to all vote by mail. There's a lot of places that uh, can do this right now. But that, but again, right. so that's a state-by-state state thing. But it, it, does that seem like something? I think Klobuchar and 23 other senators have put forward voting by mail in November. I, I just, it's scary stuff. It's yeah, just, there's, some, uh, there's some states that are nowhere near being ready for that. Okay, so now we're going to move on to our Guardian of the Week discussion. Um, this was recommended by my mother, um, who said, you're going to make Anthony Fauci the guardian of the week, aren't you? And I went, yeah, I think we probably should. Um, if so, if anyone else has a, a, a recommendation for guardian of the week, please hit us up on Twitter. Patrick, you agreed on Anthony Fauci. What yeah, are, we, we, we named Anthony Fauci last week, and I think we're probably going to be naming Anthony Fauci almost every week for a while, um, because this is who we're, we're turning to, to get the straight dope on what's happening out there. Mm. Straight dope. Yeah. like that. That's fun. That's yeah, fun. I mean, that's right. Isn't this yeah, the, guy, the I, guy that we trust? Of everybody who stands I, up on that stage with the, with the president every day on, at that briefing, the person that we trust the most is Anthony Fauci. Even last night, I saw him on Tucker Carlson's show. I saw, I was like, oh, Anthony Fauci's on Tucker Carlson's show. I'm going to watch that. And even there, Tucker Carlson's just like, thank you, Mr. Fauci. Thank you, Dr. Fauci, for, for being here. Whatever you say is something that we should truly believe. And he said, at the end, it was kind of funny. Um, Tucker Carlson said, thank you, sir. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show. And typically in that spot, someone would say, thank you. Anthony Fauci just went, hmm. 
<laughs> like that. <laughs> See, the thing, the thing that, that makes Anthony Fauci a guardian, it's not simply because he's doing a job in this crisis that needs to be done. But as I said, he's somebody that we trust. And for the Republic mm-hmm. to stand, we need to have public faith and confidence in those institutions of government. And he's the one up there who's providing that. That's not what we have on the other side with the president. The president is not somebody who you can trust. You can't trust him day to day. I mentioned that he was an alcoholic, like being with an alcoholic father. We had that on Tuesday. He came out and gave the nicest of press conferences, very sober, very, oh, we got to handle this and that. And then an hour later, he comes out and starts ripping um, Democrats saying what, what crap they are and what jerks they are. And it's like, all right, you know, we can't, somebody said it's whistling past the graveyard. I don't really know what that means, but I'll go with that. Like if us believing President Trump has turned a corner is just, there's, there's, there's no faith in that. At least from me, I don't have any faith that he's looking out for everybody. He's looking out for his day trading self. Oh, okay. Well, now you're getting me depressed, and that's usually the other way around. So well, do, you, okay. <laughs> do, you, do you have a final thought that might kind of uplift us at the I, end of this show? I might. I might. Um, so, I, you know, I was, uh, I was talking about what's going on, right? And, you know, you sit with your loved ones, and I was sitting with my better half, um, Nicole, and we were talking about, I was saying how, um, how this process, this, this virus we're thinking about what's happening to us, but how in a way it may be happening for us because our world was on a a, a, a trajectory of pain, what's happening in our, in our climate, uh, how we deal with the poor, all of these questions that people are bringing out, the Bernie Sanders questions. And a friend of mine, my dear friend told me that his daughter said, Hey, who's 10 years or 12 years old, said, hey, how come everybody can get together for this, but they can't get together for climate change, right? We're screaming about climate change because it's going to be our world in in 15 years, and nobody seems to care what Greta and the rest of us are doing. But now the the coronavirus, everyone's willing to sort of come together. What's happening in this world now is a, a new level of consciousness in every step in our lives. I went to the bank to get some cash out. I had gloves on. I had rubber gloves on. Um, there was a man walking towards me, and as he was getting closer to me, I backed away six feet, and I said, go ahead, sir. And it was a moment of consciousness, because I had to stay conscious. I went into the bank, I took my pointer finger and pressed the buttons, just my pointer finger, didn't put my hands on anything else, got my money, took it just out with my pointer finger and with my thumb and put it into my wallet. I was very conscious of everything that I was doing. We've been living largely in an unconscious world. A lot of the choices that we've made have led to the problems that we're going, that we are dealing with and that we're going to be dealing with over the course of these next 20, 30, 50, 100 years. This could be an opportunity where Mother Earth is sort of forcing us to change the way we go about how we live our lives. So once we've acclimated ourselves to that level of consciousness, how might that change how we deal with the rest of the world moving forward? So in a way, as hard as this is, and harder for some people who have financial difficulties than anyone can imagine that is not to be taken lightly, of course. But maybe we may look back on this in two years, three years, 10 years, 20 years, as a real turning point for us as a species, the human race, finding a way to move forward so that we can actually sustain ourselves and not destroy our world. So I, I hope that that's 
Um, I, I, I certainly hope. I have that optimistic hope. I, as, as I have on this show all the time, I, I tend to, my heart tends to beat from that spot that hopefully this is not just happening to us, but it's happening for us. That's a good thought. And a good thought to end this week's episode of Guardian of the Republic. If you have any comments or thoughts about the show, please reach out to us on Twitter at GuardiansOTR. And please uh, remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes or on your favorite podcast app. And please give, us a, ugh, please give us a rating and tell your friends and family because they're sitting at home just like the rest of us are so they can give us a listen too. Check out our website at guardians-republic.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening. See ya.